1: From the Cycling Independent, this is The Paceline, Line, the podcast on two
0: wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. John, I don't really like doing this, but uh, we're going to be starting things off on a somewhat somber note, or, well, a very somber note. Uh, two days ago, a former teammate of mine in Southern California, Jay LaPlante, died in a traffic crash. Jay was on his motorcycle, and beyond that, I don't know what happened. Uh, My social media feed has been filled with posts about Jay by my friends down in the beach cities. Um, Dude was well-loved, I can say that for sure. Uh, He had a baby on the way with his partner, Janelle, and seeing the outpouring of love for him, you know, that's been wonderful, but also utterly heartbreaking uh, sure former paceline co-host hottie was uh, a well, teammate michael hotton yep uh yep. he was a teammate of jay's on the hot wheels team yes they were sponsored by mattel and got to use that logo <laughs> um jay was really one of those people you felt lucky to have in your life he was a very well-rounded athlete you know in addition to being a cyclist he was also a surfer Did plenty of other things. You know, very active dude. Uh, No ordinary weekend warrior for sure. Um, He'd race Leadville. As a matter of fact, I think the year he was there was uh, one of the years that Hottie was doing support. Uh, But I haven't had a chance to check in with him. But uh, for my riding family in the South Bay, I'm thinking of you all. Uh, So let's try to move into something better now. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) <laughs> all right. Um today I want to talk about the value of daydreaming. <laughs> oh, I'm down. Uh yeah, so maybe this is just coming from the fact that I've been off the bike for nearly a month with this back injury. Uh but really I think so much of my forward momentum with riding comes from daydreaming. Uh and I've just gotten much more in tune with those since I've been off the bike because it's kind of all I've got um Mm. don't worry this isn't a sad song (laughs) um (laughs) the way i see it motivation is maybe the most valuable thing we have Mm -hmm. when we're motivated everything seems possible right yeah when we're not everything seems like hard work Uh, yeah and obviously there are a bunch of ways to maintain motivation Maybe it's progress toward a goal, or the chance to connect with friends or with nature, or maybe you watch videos of people doing cool stuff and then you want to go do it. Or you get a new bike and you're just excited about riding it. Or maybe you start gaining fitness, and that just begets its own sort of momentum because you feel good. Daydreaming, though, is for free. It don't cost nothing. Um uh, in fact. The best way to get there is to expend no effort. (laughs) Um, And I have this idea that what's going on really is that your brain is looking for some dopamine and it's suggesting to you a good way to get some. So it paints this idealized picture of what riding a bike might look like, because Mm -hmm. that's that's where you've gotten that dopamine shot before. And I and I think it's really worth paying attention to. The other thing I'll say here is that I think too often there's a gulf between our daydreams and our real riding. We envision this perfect riding situation and something in us sort of dismisses it as impractical or unattainable. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, we need to always be moving in concrete ways toward our daydreams. For me... I think, more than fitness or connection or whatever else is motivating me, and honestly, those other things can be part of your daydreams, but the daydream is an important clue to what I'm going to find most fulfilling on the bike.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I am totally down with that. I start.
1: I started thinking about this last week because, uh, you know, we I've been saying that I was injured, but that I had been fantasizing about my local trails. Yes. You know, like I can see myself on certain sections of trails on certain bikes. And, uh, like it's, it's, it's kind of what's got me like, uh, excited, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm going to go sit on the trainer, uh, in my basement in a few minutes and see if my back will even tolerate being in a, in a bike riding position. And if that works out, geez, geez, I hope I hope I can maybe get to some trails next week. That's my hope. So, but it me, you know the the other thing is just to say like those daydreams are so valuable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's another piece to this that you haven't touched on, which is just the very nature of hope. Um, right. Hope informs motivation. It it informs our dreams because hope is the thing that allows us to think that there's a better future out there. Without hope. The world is bleak. And so I genuinely oh, yeah. believe that hope is one of our finest qualities as human beings.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think I'm think i t- particularly, I didn't foresee um, uh, a, a rant about daydreams uh, on the horizon. But I think I was, uh, <laughs> when this back injury was particularly acute, I, I was beginning to lose hope. Because it sort of came out of nowhere and I thought, well, this is, this is just doesn't even attach to reality. Like there's no cause and effect and there's certainly no fair and it's not fair to me. And, you know, I got on that whole thing and then I started to feel sort of like, geez, I'm going to be laid up forever at this rate. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. So as soon as
1: I started to feel better again, I think that's when I started to see myself, uh, you know, in Hayden Woods, that first, that first jump. And then you go over the jump and you turn right and it does this little thing. And then there's a wooden footbridge. I don't need to go into detail, but you get my point. I started I to like, I started to feel like that was possible again. I think you're right. Hope is a big part of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to, to your other point about actually getting on the trainer, I, like 17 years ago, something like that, I threw out my back in just the worst way I have ever done. It was so bad that there were days I couldn't even go into work um, because uh, I couldn't sit in a chair, much less sit in a car to get to work. Uh, So I was just on my back squirming like a worm in the sun. Well, it took a very long time to kind of get to a place where like putting on pants was sort of normal um, and then eventually... Finally, it's like, okay, I can do an easy little ride. I had to do lots of walking first. But the reason I bring this up is once I was able to get on the bike, the act of pedaling really started loosening my backup and my, my improvement increased exponentially once I was on the bike. But good Lord, it took like a month to get there.
1: Yeah, this has been three weeks, and walking, walking I've been uh, good about, even, like, there were days where, as you say, I couldn't sit in a chair properly, Uh, (laughs) but I was able to walk, uh, albeit with some discomfort, and I'm a big believer, like, just don't stop moving, like, you just, unless you're, Mm. like, literally incapacitated, you gotta keep moving, so... I've been out walking with the dog every day like the body is moving and then and then I did get a hit a huge milestone the other day, which was tying my shoes without uh, lightning bolts shooting down my uh, spine. So, uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, yesterday at physical therapy, I got on the, their elliptical machine um, uh, for 10 minutes and I was able to do that without without pain. So I thought, OK. Trainer Next. Yeah. Then, then, yeah. A, then a simple road ride. Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
0: when I was yeah. trying to recover from that way back then, um, where I worked was just around the corner from a big mall. And one of the things that I was genuinely having trouble with was walking on any sort of incline. The world, by the way, is rather full of inclines. I remember yeah. having yeah, trouble yeah. getting down like uh, the... the handicap ramp i'm not sure if i get to use that word anymore but the, the you know at the at the corner of a right. sidewalk you know to cross the street yeah. i had trouble with that ramp so the thing that occurred to me was i'm going to go to the mall and walk there because the mall is generally dead flat right yeah uh so i feel you buddy i
1: really do yeah yeah well i mean the good news is uh i i, I survived it. Um, going around the corner and uh bike riding is next yeah and you're hopeful and that informs your motivation i'm very hopeful yeah spring sunshine helps it's all good (laughs) well uh, i you know i'm glad you're
0: on the road to recovery Uh, um please and thank you all righty we're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute the pace slide is brought to you by the cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported, with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on Support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening.
1: Okay, we're back with The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your poll. What do you got for us this week? Well, this past weekend was
0: the first of the five monuments in pro racing, Milan San Remo. Mm. And uh, it was won by Mate Moric. Uh, and good Lord, I mean, he's uh, uh, Slovakian, I believe. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right, but knowing me and foreign names, maybe not. We don't usually talk about pro racing on the show because I don't ever want to have to discuss doping again which I did way too much of back in the early 2000 teens. But this race was significant for how it was won. Independent of the possibility that may have been any doping involved. Uh, Moritz was part of a select group on the ascent of the final climb, the Poggio. Uh, Before I get to the how, the Poggio is known as a mean hill that comes just a few kilometers From the finish in the seaside town of San Remo, um, the top of the Poggio is right about five, four and a half, five kilometers from the finish. The descent is narrow and twisty and absolutely favors a solo rider over a group. Uh, Morich escaped the group of eight, um, making them seven uh, at the top of the Poggio and then Bombed down it, uh, taking the entire width of the road in the turns. Um, And he opened a gap on the group uh, over the three and a half kilometer descent, leaving him to ride the final two flat kilometers solo to the finish. He had two seconds on the seven riders in pursuit, which is just so
1: good. I mean, so beautiful. Absolutely (laughs) thrilling. Yeah, absolutely thrilling to watch. Um, And this is a classic Milan San Remo, right? The race, they say the race is made on the Poggio in so many editions, it isn't like a group crests the hill together and then it just finishes in a bunch sprint like this can go to the sprinters quite often. It's it's it's
0: really interesting in that there are there are two outcomes. Somebody messes things up for everybody else and destroys them and finishes solo or a group comes down to an incredible sprint and you've got these sprinters. It's like, how do you get over that hill? Um, Right. You know, so it's really something. Um, I don't know that there's any of the other monuments where you can, at the beginning of the day, say, well, this one's going to be completely unpredictable.
1: Yeah. It can either go to a wispy climber or (laughs) a bull of a sprinter which is not like most of the other, almost any of the other races.
0: hmm Yeah. So, what's significant in all this was Morich's secret weapon. Dude rode a bike with a dropper post. A <laughs> dropper post on a road bike. <laughs> there are yeah. a couple things going on here. First, there's the fact that a popular tactic for descending, the super tuck was outlawed by ProCycling's governing body, the UCI. The SuperTuck requires a rider to put their butt on the top tube beneath the saddle. It makes the rider very aerodynamic, but there was always an inherent danger in using it because if a rider needed to respond in any significant way to something unforeseen, they had to move slightly forward before rising to get on the saddle. The UCI said the super tuck had resulted in crashes, and so they ruled against it for safety. Um, that seems uh, a doubtful, a doubtful claim. But they make the rules, and they like making rules. Um, and what's a governing body without a new rule, right?
1: I, I feel um, like the UCI has a has a spinny wheel. For the reasons that they do things and they just at their regular meetings, they just spin the wheel and they're like, ah, oh, this week we'll be disqualifying a piece of equipment. Which one should we pick? And they spin the wheel again. I'm surprised (laughs) we're allowed to use wheels in races anymore, but go on. Sorry.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, So, you know, I will agree that the super tuck can make things a little dicey, but the UCI also has a history of being really heavy handed where new ideas are concerned. The best example of this were the assortment of rules they instituted in response to one of the most innovative writers of all time, Graham Obrey, um, the Scot who took on the hour record a few different times. Um, sometime Obrey deserves a full poll of his own, but the long and the short of it was there came a point where I thought maybe the UCI was just going to come out with a rule against Graham Obrey himself.
1: Yeah, That's, yeah. it seemed like um, they were like, this guy, we're not going to let this guy be fast, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, creativity, bad idea, bad idea. Uh, but he was still fast as hell.
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, I just, yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I could go on and on about that. Like I said, probably a poll of its own someday. So without the SuperTuck, a reasonable response is to put a dropper post on a bike. Uh, it increases aerodynamics lowers the rider's center of gravity, and still gives them a saddle to sit on, which does, I can report from some considerable experience, improve control uh, of the bike over sitting on the top two. Just trust me on this. There was a time, (laughs) confession time, there was a time when I would have rolled my eyes at this, you know, using new technology to help execute the win. I'm not sure why, because it's a dynamite use of technology, really, when you look at the creativity behind it. I've been riding gravel bikes with dropper posts for a year now, and while they are an obvious game changer on single track descents on a gravel bike, it can be hard to see how that translates to the road. This time last year, I went up to Mendocino County to try to recreate the two-day Mendocino grasshopper that I rode back in 2018. There were a number of really steep, more than 8% descents on fire roads. Um, early in that first day, I dropped the saddle for one of the steep fire roads and realized how much more comfortable I was, not physically, but in terms of my confidence on the bike. Here's the thing that makes this so interesting I'm a pretty quick and confident descender on dirt with a gravel bike. Um, I didn't Prior to that, I didn't feel like I wanted for confidence. What I noticed on that day of riding was that after using the, do- the dropper on a couple of steep pitches, I began to feel the urge to drop the saddle every time I started going downhill. I realized that even on lesser descents, my confidence was boosted by dropping the saddle 100 millimeters. Uh, it was that experience, flying down stuff that has never scared me in the past but then realizing I felt even more confident with the saddle dropped four inches. On a 10-point scale, my confidence went from a 7 to a 9 or some such. So, two things are going to happen going forward. We're going to start seeing more road bikes in the Pro Peloton with dropper posts, which, by the way, will increase the weight of bikes by about a pound. Somebody's going to flip out about that um i mean boy uh
1: the second thing i mean that i happen, think yeah well i was just gonna say what what i think is people are gonna win races with a dropper post by adding you know they're gonna add that pound of weight to their bike and the bike industry is gonna have to return the entire 1990s to us You're just going to have to (laughs) refund us for the 1990s. But go on. (laughs) Yes.
0: Um, Okay, so the second thing that will happen is that the UCI's technical committee, the folks who decide what positions are acceptable and whether or not Graham O'Brien is allowed to live, uh, or you can have a bike with spokey-dokies or not, will meet and decide whether or not a dropper post is an affront to safety, the sanctity of the sport, and, well, their control over said sport. I swear, I think 90% of what the technical committee does is just exist to allow the UCI to exert its will over the sport. A third thing will happen, uh, which is all the makers of dropper posts will put great pressure on the UCI not to screw them by killing this. Um, So I sort of want a ringside seat to see how this plays out. I think dropper posts will win, but I think there's going to be a hell of a fight for most of this
1: year. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're going to hear the term "sporting integrity" thrown about <laughs> by a lot of people with none of it. That's what I think. <laughs> I th- uh huh. I think they'll ban it, um, but they'll. I don't know. Yeah, I think. Um, Moritz should enjoy his victory because it may be the only one ever afforded to a pro rider on a dropper post. I hope that's not true, you know. Uh,
0: I think a lot about
1: how different. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think a lot about how different um, pro racing is now from three decades ago and six decades ago and whether that's good or bad. Um, Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Maybe it doesn't bear thinking about, the you know, time is unidirectional, things move on. I tend to think we need to just err on the side of riding the best bikes we have in the moment that we have to ride them, and that's it. Uh, But the UCI hasn't traditionally seen it that way. So,
0: yeah, one thing I really don't want to have happen is somebody start putting an asterisk next to his name and saying, oh, by the way, the dude won because he had a dropper post. When you watch video, and we will be running uh, a video of his descent on the site. When you watch that video, <sighs> dude was destined to win that race. Dropper post for no. The dropper post helped him a little bit. You know, maybe it gave him a half a second or even a full second. But the way he raced the closing of that race, that's what a champion does. And he just got a little edge with the, uh, with the equipment. He was pedaling furiously full on sprint out of every corner. Um, yeah. And at one point, actually, he ran off the road and into the gutter and bunny hopped out of the gutter and back onto the road at, you know, what, 35, 40 miles an hour. Um, yeah. It was it was a move that I had to watch a couple times like, no, that can't be. But it was it totally, totally was. Uh, so, yeah,
1: you're going to want to check out that video yeah technology yeah i'm into it (laughs) except when i'm not but i am mostly (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: all righty well uh let's move on to uh the paceline picks sure
1: so this week i'm picking the tifosi optics dolomite 2.0 um sunglasses there are three reasons i like these glasses First and foremost, they're vented. So, Tofosi seems to be the only optics company invested in solving the problem of lens fogging via vents. I know a lot put coatings on their lenses to reduce fogging, and there's, there's other things you can do. Uh-huh. But um, Tofosi puts actual um, airflow vents in the outer edges of the, of the lenses. Which, and then... So they're the only ones that do it I, that I'm aware of. And that either means it's a dumb idea or they're just way ahead of everyone else. I, I, I think it's the latter. I have a few pairs well, of nice wraparound sunglasses that I wear casually. But mm-hmm. if I wear them on the bike, they get into this cycle of fog and clear, fog and clear that drives me nuts. Not to mention the yep. heat that actually builds up around my eyes, uh, which is a real mm. thing um to huh. lenses vent air as i said at the outer edges of lenses lenses and that leads to much less fogging no hot eyes less sweat build up around and under my eyes which is a real mm-hmm. advantage to me the second thing i like about the dolomites is you can wear them off the bike without looking like a cyborg on its way to do a contract hit
0: yeah i've looked at those and i am I'm not sure I would be quite so bold with those uh, as, as you, uh, but I applaud you for being able to mix those with cotton.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they work. It's a, definitely a stretch, but it's not as long a stretch as most cycling sunglasses, which... You mean like I think, anything from Oakley? Yeah, you're coming straight out of RoboCop on, on most of those things. <laughs> Um, or it looks like you're on your way to do some casual ski jumping. Um, the, the third thing I like is that you can get these very effective, versatile glasses for $69.95 retail. hmm You can spend a lot on glasses and I have. Yep. Yeah. And $70 isn't cheap at all in the grand scheme of things, but in the context of cycling specific glasses, that are widely available at bike shops and versatile in the way these are, $69.95 is a good value, in my opinion. It
0: is, relative to that category, it is absolutely, quote-unquote, inexpensive. <laughs> yes. Uh, I am going to uh, contest your, uh, your theory about the vents, because Oakley did do it, Uh, I'm not sure if they're doing it now because I don't really pay attention to them anymore. But uh, Oakley, I think, was the first to do it. Giro certainly did it. Um, And there are other companies even now where the shaping of the lenses, it doesn't look so so obviously Venti, but it's it's Venti. Um, Mm. Yeah, it's they're not the only ones uh, doing it, but. They, they could easily be doing it in a, a manner fresh to all their competitors.
1: Yeah. Well, here's what I can tell um, you. And, and I did want to mention this anyway. Yeah. I did want to mention this yeah. anyway. I have owned these and used them and can attest to their effectiveness. Um, the, other thing, the other thing I wanted to put out there, we do these picks every week. And I just uh, I wanted to say for absolute transparency that I bought these. Uh, I bought these and I used them as I would just as a pair of my own sunglasses. These weren't bought for review. I tend to recommend things not that I've bought specifically to review or certainly that I've been given to review. Um, And I should say to listeners that if something has been given to me at no cost to review, I would always say that. Otherwise, just assume... This is a thing I've acquired on my own steam and I'm giving you my straight dope uh, uh, opinions on it. And I mention this because we're going to bring sponsorship uh, into the podcasts uh, soon. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to require us to be even more transparent about um, uh, our continued independence as uh, reporters on this wacky pastime.
0: Yes. Yes, uh, very true, uh, very fair. Absolutely. Um, What what do you got this week? Yeah, uh, my pick this week, uh, is the, uh, Look X-Track Enrage Plus pedal. Um, this is a a mountain bike pedal that is SPD compatible with a large body made from forged aluminum and is intended really for trail and enduro riding, but that's not why I'm going to recommend this pedal. Uh. I'm using it on a gravel bike. Um, Of course, the obvious question is why? And uh, generally, the cool move is to use the most minimal pedal for gravel riding. But most of my gravel shoes, like the ones that I keep here in Memphis, uh, which are the Shimano XC5s, have a sole that is more flexible than most cycling shoes because walking does tend to be a thing in gravel riding. If you want to find out just how much skin is on the back of your heel, I can heartily recommend hiking for two miles in the stiffest mountain bike shoes you own. <laughs> you will learn some things about your body. Uh, so with a more flexible sole, having a pedal with a larger body will help support the shoe better and provide more efficient pedaling and less foot fatigue. That support is really a nice thing. Um, The X-Trek Enrage uh, comes in three versions. There's an $85 version, a $130 version, and a $270 pair. The $130 version and the $270 version have the same forged aluminum body and the same Q-Factor, but... Uh, they differ in the fact that for more than twice as much money, you can drop 50 grams off of a 500 gram set of pedals and cleats with the addition of a titanium spindle.
1: There you go. All right. The $85. Hmm? I said, all yeah. right, I, we <laughs> decided in the last part of the show that weight doesn't matter anymore, but I'm just going to leave that there and let you go on with your, <laughs>
0: with your pick. Well, he, I mean, this, This actually helps uh, serve my argument for uh, weight uh, not really being a thing to be overly concerned about. Um, I love it. Yeah. Uh, The $85 version features a narrower aluminum body and narrower Q, which makes them attractive to more diminutive riders. Uh, Q factor tends to be uh, more of a deal for uh, people with shorter legs, Um, and so... There's a real reason to recommend the $85 version to some folks. I'm on the $130 version and would need a hole drilled in my head to drop the dough on the tie spindle version. Um, And I'm not letting anybody drill holes in my head. Tension (laughs) is adjustable on all three versions. And uh, I don't even have the tension dialed all the way up. And to release, I need to give a very firm twist of my foot, making them a very secure pedal for gravel riding. Uh, as always, there will be a link in our show notes. Um, alrighty, well, that's a wrap on another episode of the Pace Line. Um, again, uh, I'm mentioning that we have, we will have, by the time you hear this, uh, a post of the video of Mate Morich's Descent off the Poggio on our site. Um, and there will be a link to that in our show notes if that's how you start. Uh send us some questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling end to put it and put a suggestion in the comments. Um yeah, we could use some. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave <laughs> us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week. I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.